Hi, and welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoy this message from our senior pastor, Dan Cochran. We're going to look at John 13 this morning. We're going to read through that. There's some tremendous lessons that we can gain from John 13. I wanted to start, however, with a short story um, about my own life. When I was 20, I, I met Jesus, and I had a radical change in my life. Things just changed almost overnight. At least it seemed like that. I mean, they're still changing today. I haven't, I haven't reached the, the goal yet. But um, at that point, you know, LSD, speed mescaline, drinking, carousing, all of that just fell off immediately. So it seemed like huge change. And I was eager to tell everybody I met about Jesus. And I'd heard someone say, or I'd read somewhere, that one good way to kind of break the ice um, was to ask someone, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? So a very subtle approach, wouldn't you say? Yeah. (laughs) So I was driving home one night about 1230, and there was a hitchhiker. And back in those days, I did a lot of hitchhiking myself, and so I always picked up hitchhikers, you know, captive audience and all. And... um, Picked this guy up, he gets in the car. I asked him where he headed, he told me. Then I looked at him and I said, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And I'm gonna tell you, I'm convinced the only thing he heard was, you're gonna die tonight. His eyes got big, he slid over to the door as far as he could, and he's looking at me out of the corner of his eye like this. I think he was trying to figure out, can I survive jumping out of a car going 50 miles an hour? But, uh, you know, I clarified that. I said, no, man, I just want to talk to you about Jesus. And uh, really, I I thought later, I was the one that should have been afraid because you know who Charlie Manson is? This guy looked like Charles Manson, man. I got to tell you. This was like 1971, and he he had the look of Charles Manson about him. But, uh, you know, my question would be, if if this was the last day of your life, what would you do with it? Where would your focus be? You know, what would happen in your heart? Would you, like, would your eyes get big and would you slide over to the door in fear, trying to get as far away as you can? Or would you be more thoughtful and pensive about it? Would you, like, review your life and say, okay, I did these things well, this didn't get done, maybe? Would you think about people you love or what? Well, the passage we're gonna look at today, uh, it shows us Jesus on the last night of his life, the night that he was actually betrayed. We're gonna read about the the last supper that he had with his apostles, with his disciples. And Jesus actually at this moment in time is walking in real peace and calmness of heart. And he's focused, he's laser-like focused on his mission. And not only on his mission, but on his disciples. They were part of his mission. And he's focused on giving them one last lesson as as he moves ahead into the completion of his mission that God's given him. You see, these apostles, as they entered the room that night, we find out when we read Luke's gospel, they were arguing about who was gonna be greatest. And things are ramping up. I mean, in Jesus' ministry in life, 
the, you know, the tensions getting higher in the whole atmosphere of Jerusalem and Israel, and they're expecting something to happen. And, and I suspect that they think that at, at, at this big celebration, at this big Passover celebration, some miraculous thing is going to happen, and the whole Sanhedrin is going to flip. And they're going to say, no, wait a second. We recognize Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king. And that he's going to be installed as that. And as they're anticipating that, they're, they're ongoing. They had an ongoing argument about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus then gives them this, this final lesson. And the lesson is that greatness in the kingdom is not the same as greatness in the world. And in fact, when he, he knew they were arguing in Luke, and he tells them, you're thinking, you're thinking like unbelievers here. He says, you don't understand the way the kingdom works. You don't understand how real authority, and I love what Will shared, how real kingdom authority actually works, and, and how we exercise it. And so Jesus gives them this one last lesson. Mark 10, 45 really is a summary of the life of Jesus. And it kind of introduces this in such a profound way, I believe. But Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Give his life as a ransom to serve. You think, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Messiah? God himself, and he comes to earth to serve. You realize Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. That's what the Bible tells us. That in spite of all the revelation we have in the Old Testament, it's not until Jesus comes that we actually see with clarity what the Father's like. And what we see is, this is mind-blowing, God is humble The Father is humble. He lives with humility. He exists with humility. And His Son Jesus, in this passage, demonstrates that in a way that is just hard, hard to fathom. There are three main characters in this passage. Jesus, and then, of course, Peter. Anytime you have something happens, probably Peter in the middle of it. The third character is Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed him. And I think perhaps the lesson we gain from Judas might be the most profound thing we'll see in this passage. But I want to read it, and uh, I, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or open up your Bible on your phone or iPad or if you have your computer here with you, and follow along with me. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. We're going to read verses 1 through 17, okay? It says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, this is John 13, verses 1 through 17. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father. You know, several times in the Gospel of John where people wanted to capture Jesus. Sometimes they wanted to kill him or they wanted to stone him. And it says, he just just walked past them because his hour had not yet come. So the hour's come now. He says, knowing that the hour would come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own were in the world, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. 
And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he, Simon, said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. You'll get it later, Peter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, in that case, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. They've been called apostles already. That's what the Greek word means, sent one. Then he says in verse 17, this powerful statement, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Just say that with me. I'm gonna, I'll repeat it, and then we'll all repeat it together. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Okay, let's say that together. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Well, Father, um, we do ask you to be the one that speaks to us now. Holy Spirit, uh, sent by the Father, sent by the Son, as our teacher, as the one who lives in us, enliven these new hearts you've given us. Enable us to draw from this passage the life of Jesus into our own hearts so that we will live like he lived, so that we will not just hear, but we will understand and, and we will do, we will live the way Jesus lived. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, that blessing, blessing is what results when you know and then you do, okay? Blessing is what results when you perceive the truth and then you act on the truth. Just perceiving the truth isn't enough. Even believing it isn't enough. Really believing it means you do act on it. And when you act on it, then there's automatic blessing. It's not like we, we have to ask God for blessing or we have to beg God for blessing. It's just that's the position of blessing. In fact, o obedience is always a matter of just positioning yourself to be blessed. It's not earning blessing. It's not like, I'm gonna do this for you, God, so that you'll see how much I love you, so you'll bless me. Uh, Lori and I were just up at Hawking Hills a few weeks ago, and there were different places where there were waterfalls. And a couple of days were pretty hot, and it would have been nice just to step under that waterfall and to get cooled off. But, you know, you're, we're standing back from it, and I'm standing there thinking, you know, this is like the spiritual life. 
You know, Jesus says, okay, here's, here's a spot, of, here's blessing. Do what I say and you'll walk in blessing. That's, that's the water flowing down, that's the spot. Now I can stand back here and say, God bless me, bless me. And God might pour water on me, he might refresh me, but really all I have to do is walk over here and just step into it because the blessing's already there, it's already flowing. And so obedience doesn't earn us anything. Obedience is just the realm of living the way God created us to live. And when we do that, he's already decided blessing flows right there because we're living out what he created us to be. So in this passage, it, uh, it starts uh, with him describing Jesus. And, you know, there, there are four gospels. Uh, three of the gospels are called synoptics. That's because they just give a synopsis, a short version of Jesus' life. Matthew, a synoptic, synop, one of the synoptic gospels was written primarily for the Jews. Mark, for the Romans, that's why it's short and active because the Romans were into action. Most common word in Mark is immediately. And then Luke was written more towards the Gentile mindset. Luke was a Gentile himself and a doctor and uh, brought across some precision that the, that the, the uh, Greeks would have wanted. But John, John is not a synopsis of Jesus' life. John is more like a lawyer arguing a case. In fact, in the last chapter, John said, I've written these things to you so that you will know and you will believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the believing you have life. That's his whole point. His whole point is present Jesus so that people can read this and they're gonna say, this guy's the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, then I've gotta come into right relationship with him. And so you see that as you read through this. It starts off with this simple phrase, knowing that his hour had come. So knowing that his hour had come, verse one, not just to peacefully pass out of this world, but to suffer. But more than that, by suffering to fulfill his mission. And so Jesus is on the cusp of fulfilling his mission. And listen, when, when we think of mission, we need, we need to think of what is God's mission for me. And, you know, in our whole culture, we have too much of a tendency to think of, well, what is my potential? Oh, my potential, you know, is this, and I'm, and I'm here, and so I'm a failure. No, what we need to think of in terms of is what is my mission? Because I don't think any of us will ever fulfill our potential, and Jesus did not fulfill his potential. If he had lived a little bit longer, how many more people could he have healed? If he, had lived, if he had lived to be 90, he probably could have healed every person in the Mediterranean world. And so in some respects, you could say, well, that was the potential, but it wasn't potential God was looking at, it was mission. And he's about to complete his mission. And, and we, we think of that and we think, oh man, that sounds so exciting. I wanna complete my mission, and I do, and, and I hope that you do also. But we need to recognize that sometimes there's suffering in the completion of the mission because the world doesn't welcome it. And just as Jesus suffered to bring the kingdom of God into the world, and then he releases the kingdom to us, it gives us authority, as Wilson shared, to advance the kingdom, we can expect there to be hardship. It took suffering to bring the kingdom in, and there's gonna, there's gonna be some suffering and some hardship to advance the kingdom. So as you and I are pressing into fulfilling our destinies, our missions, we should expect that. 
But this first phrase, knowing that his hour had come, then there are several others that really kind of live right underneath it. And the, the first one here is this. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. All right, he loved these apostles. He loved them. And in spite of all their failures, in spite of all the confusion that they brought, in spite of, of how dull they were at times, he loved them deeply. And you can't separate his love for these apostles from the completion of his mission. And there's a lesson here in this that you and I need to recognize. None of us complete our mission on our own. None of us do. It's always going to be in community. It's always going to be in relationship with others. And, and relationship with others that through the power of God's presence and spirit, we have developed a tight, love-knit tight-knit love relationship with. And so he loved them to the end. You know, it's interesting. Jesus did not get all wrapped up in himself. He didn't get all wrapped up in himself. He, he, he just, he cared for them and he loved them to the very end. You know, this week I looked up um, some last words of famous people. You know, there's some pretty uh, sad, some raunchy last words that famous people have given. I pulled out a few that I thought were really kind of uh, uplifting, and most of them have to do with husbands and wives, but here, Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, there, he's in the backyard with his wife. I might cry as I read these. He turned to his wife and said, you're wonderful, and then dropped over dead. T.S. Eliot, the author and playwright, simply whispered the name of his wife, Valerie. Then he passed. Vince Lombardi, the NFL legendary coach, turned to his wife and he said, happy anniversary, I love you, and then died. John Wayne, the actor, um, I know people my age know who John Wayne is. Anybody under 40 here know who John Wayne is? All right, way to go. <laughs> you had good parents. John Wayne turned to his wife and he said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl and I love you. Michael Landon, the actor who played Paul from Little House on the Prairie, and if you're really old, you might remember Bonanza, Little Joe. He had a long struggle with cancer. His family's gathered around his bed. His, dad's, his son said to him, Dad, I think it's time to move on. And uh, Michael Landon replied, he said, you're right, it's time. I love you all, and then died. I love this one, I left it to the end. O.O. McIntyre, journalist, never heard of him before. But he said to his wife, Maybell, he said, will you please turn this way? I like to look at your face. Will you please turn towards me? I like to look at your face. And then he passed from this life into the next. I don't know if, how many of these people actually knew the Lord. I knew, believe Michael Landon did. But uh, Jesus had that type of heart. That's his heart right now for these apostles. There's passion and compassion that he's filled with for them. And then it goes on. The next thing it says, kind of all under this banner of knowing that his hour had come. The next thing it says is, the devil had already put it into Judas's heart to betray him. Now, why does he add that? He adds that because he wants us to know 
that Jesus is not just out to lunch right now. He's not flying in the dark. He understands fully what's happening. As Sherlock Holmes would put it, the game is afoot. He understands that the final pieces have been played. And yet, he still is focused on his, on his, on his followers, his apostles, and serving them and caring for them and loving them. And then it says this. It says, Jesus, knowing that, and three things, that the Father had given all things into his hands. That's authority. He had authority. He had all authority. And he's going he's gonna to come back out of that grave. He's going to say, okay, now, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says this, he knew that he had come from God, and he knew he was going back to God. Now, what this does is, it gives us the foundation for how Jesus lived. He lived out of his identity. He knew that he had authority. He knew that he could call, uh, the Father again, send 12 legions of angels and deliver him from all of this if he asked. He knew he had that authority to do that. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going, and that's your identity right there. And if you and I know where I came, I came from the blood of Jesus. I came from the Son of God who came to this earth and gave his life for me so that he could release the kingdom of God into the world, into my life, so that he could give me a new heart so that now I have a brand new heart. I have a heart with Jesus' DNA. And I have, I have this confidence of where I'm going. It's, it's not the goal. Going to heaven is not the goal. It's just the final destination. Isn't that good, though? Isn't that good? I know I, where I come from, and I know where I'm going. And so you know what? Right now, I know I have this authority from God, and I know I can walk in peace and use this authority from God because I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going. And so he he's just lays this out that Jesus knew full well his full identity, not confused. He's rabbi, Messiah, king of kings, Lord of lords. He's everything, and yet he focuses not on himself, but on them. And, and I, I have this uh, thought that I wanted to throw up before you. And um, interesting that Wilson heard God speak about authority because I wanted to say this, that kingdom authority is given to bless and serve not to dominate and control. This is something we've got to understand. It's given to bless and serve, not to dominate and control. And I think it's so misunderstood, even in the church today. We, we think of, well, you, you gifted as an apostle or a leader or you're, you're this or you're that. So everybody, you should have authority to tell people what to do. And I've known churches, I, I had a young guy from a church one time that uh, he had come from another church where they told them how to dress, what TV shows to watch, where to go to college. And the top guy told everybody that, that sort of thing. And, and it was just this issue of control because he had the authority. And, and that's, not, that's not Jesus' style authority. This young guy one time, Eddie, he said to me, he said, why don't you just tell me if it's okay that I wear blue jeans or not? Because it was he, he had come from an area that was so strict, no blue jeans, that sort of thing. I said, Eddie, if I tell you that, then you don't even have to know God. You don't have to grow. I said, this is for you to figure out in your relationship with the Lord. And, and so 
the whole idea of authority is it's given to bless and not to dominate or control. And even at that, as Wilson was up here sharing, the thought came to me. As, we're, as we are ministering to people, if we view ourselves as kind of like above them somehow, if, if I see someone maybe whose marriage is deteriorating and, uh, and, and I'm gonna minister to them, if I see myself up here and them down here, then my ability to minister to them is gonna be greatly limited. And I, I just need to see them just like this, hurting person. You know, I hurt a lot of times too. I have hurt in the past. Another hurting person. And, and further, this, what we're gonna see here is the root of all of this is compassion. It's, it's all about compassion. And over and over it says Jesus felt compassion for the multitude, so he fed them. Jesus felt compassion, so he healed them. He felt compassion, so he taught them so they would understand who God is and how to live. Compassion is the core of all of this. And authority without compassion is gonna have a hard time flowing. <laughs> John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, someone asked him once, when you're praying for someone, what are, you pray, how, what are you asking God for? Are you saying, how do you get words of knowledge for the person you're praying for? And he said, oh, he said, I'm not trying to get words of knowledge. He said, what I'm asking God to do is to show me their heart and show me how are they handling at a heart level the problem that they're facing. And he said, as God shows me that, then God's heart of compassion begins to flow. And then he said, words of knowledge just come. But it's all about compassion. And Jesus had this heart and life of compassion and authority is to be used and, and exercised to bless others and, as we walk in compassion. So in this mind-blowing moment, here is what happens. And, and John describes this in this short phrase, short phrase, short phrase way that, that is intended to heighten the drama of the moment because it was a dramatic moment. And he wants us to be able to enter into it. And so he says this, he, sa he says he got up from supper, laid aside his garment, meaning he disrobed right down to his underwear. Some, some people say they wore underwear, some people say they didn't, that they were like loincloths underneath their cloaks. He either stripped totally naked or right down to his underwear. And then it says, he taking a towel, he girded himself. And really, interestingly, that word girded means it wrapped tightly around him. Now, have you ever like realized you didn't have shampoo in the shower? You jump out, you grab a towel, and you, you have to hold the towel like this so it doesn't fall down as you run to the closet to get shampoo or whatever. This is not the case here. He wrapped that around his waist very securely. And so, as, as the description goes on, then he poured water into a basin and he washed their feet and dried them with the towel. Now picture yourself in that setting. You're, you're, one, of the, you're one of the people around the table. Maybe you're at the other end of the table. You, you know, realize they're all lying down on the floor. They, the way they ate, they had low tables and they, they lounged like this on an elbow and ate, ate like that. And so you're at the other end of this table and you're talking to, let's say, James, and you're looking away from Jesus and there are all these conversations happening and you're, you're, suddenly you realize it's, it's, the room's kind of getting quiet. 
what's happening. And then James looks past you, looks over your shoulder, and then he catches your eye, and he kind of nods like that. And you turn, and you see Jesus taking his robe off. You see him disrobing. And, and you're confused, what is he doing? Has he, lo has he lost, his, is he losing it right now? And, and he wraps a towel around his waist. And then he takes the basin and, and it's dead silent now. And you hear the water pouring into the basin. And you start, to you start to realize maybe what's happening. And he goes to the first apostle, takes their feet, washes their feet, dries their feet, and is dead silent. And he does two or three or four of them till he gets to Peter. And you know, Peter was never bashful about breaking the silence or you know, ruining, spoiling the moment. And so Peter makes this statement. I think we have it up to put up on the screen even. Verse six. Here's what's happening, okay? Remember, they were arguing who's greatest before this all started. And now Peter's sitting there. Later, when Jesus tells Peter, you're gonna deny me three times, and Peter says, never, 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 I'll never deny you. He says, they all might deny you. He throws everyone under the bus. I'll never deny you. So you know Peter's mindset towards the other apostles. And so as the first one's feet's being washed, Peter's there saying, what? Why is he letting him do it? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? What, what's, wrong, what, what's, wrong, what's wrong with these guys? Can't they see what's happening? Don't they know how inappropriate this is? And whether Peter just felt like he was the leader and he needed to do something about it, or Jordan and I talked about this week, maybe Peter thought this was a test. And you know, failure, failure, fail, fail, I'm gonna pass. But really what, what, what was in his heart, he, he might've thought it was humility, but it wasn't, it was pride. It was pride. And when Jesus comes to him, Peter then says, in, in, in the Greek language, these are emphatic. Lord, do you wash my feet? So Jesus gives him an answer. Wouldn't that be good enough for most people? Okay, I know you don't understand this right now, Peter. Peter, trust me on this one, okay? You'll get it later. Just trust me. Just go with the game right now. Go along with this. Trust me. Not Peter. Peter comes back. Never will you wash my feet. Never. That's a, it's the strongest way to make a negative statement in the Greek language. There are different words that, can, that are negatives. One of them is may, and one of them is ooh. And may, uh, to illustrate, means no, but there's a possibility. So if you propose to a, a young woman, and she doesn't, she wants, she's not ready to get married yet, but she really likes you, she just thinks it's too early, so she wants you to stick around, she would say may, meaning no, but ask again. Good possibility this will happen. And then the other one is ooh, which just means flat out no. Now when you put those two together, it means the first, the ooh may, may means possibility, ooh means absolutely not. So that comes out to mean absolutely no possibility. 
So if the girl says to you, ume, just give it up, okay? There's no hope. No hope. And this is what Peter says. Absolutely not. No, never will you wash my feet. And then Jesus responds and Jesus, Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, I have no part with you. But before that, do you know, Peter disagreed with Jesus uh, when he predicted his death. You know, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. Never, won't happen to you. I won't let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Man, he says, you're, you're thinking with the world's mindset right now, not God's. So there's that. Then there's this, where he says, you'll never wash my feet. And then there is when, uh, uh, when Jesus says, you're going to betray me tonight. And he says, oh, they all might, but I never will. Never, never, never. And then even after Pentecost in Acts 10, when the, Peter has this dream of the sheets comes down and all these different animals that under the Old Testament law were illegal to eat are there. And the Lord says to him, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. And you know what Peter says? Absolutely not, Lord. Now, I wanna give you a, a tip here, okay? If God ever tells you to do something and you say absolutely not, don't tack Lord onto the end of the sentence. It doesn't fit. If you're going to say no, then at least be honest enough to say no. No, I'm not going to do it. Now, it's okay to say, uh, Lord, could you, could you tell me that again? I'm not sure I got it right. It's okay to say, um, Lord, would you mind giving me another confirmation of that? Or can you give me some time here, Lord? This is a big thing, and, and I want to obey you. But, I mean, those are all okay to say. You can put Lord at the end of those sentences. But if it's just going to be a flat-out no way, Lord, no way. No, God, I'm divorcing this woman. No way, Lord. Just leave the Lord off the end. And I'm not saying every divorce is, is wrong or anything like that. I don't mean that. Just in, any illustration that you would pick up in life that where we would say no to the Lord. And so Peter, uh, he, he just has this, this way about him that, that where he has this superior attitude to those around him, which in fact cuts the heart out of compassion because it's a cynical, that cynicism is the enemy of compassion. Superiority and cynicism will cut the heart out of compassion. And so, here, here's another thought I had that we'll put up on the screen for you, and that is that true humility is able to receive honor from others as well as to give honor to others. Okay, Peter was not willing to receive this honor. You realize Jesus, in John 12, allowed Mary to wash his feet with perfume and dry his feet with her hair. And Jesus didn't mind that. And now Peter can't receive the same thing from Jesus. Uh, somehow he feels like he's too wise for that or he's too insightful or he's too embarrassed by it. Uh, at any rate, it all boils down to uh, some, in some way, some form of pride. So Jesus says to him then, he says, well, Peter, you realize if, if you can't receive this from me, how can you receive anything from me? If you can't receive this small thing from me, how can you receive the larger thing I'm gonna give you tomorrow? 
And he says, if you can't receive this, then we have, we have no further relationship. He tells you something about building relationships with people, doesn't it? If you're the one that always is the one serving, always, you insist, no, no, I'm opening the door for you. You can't open, no, no, I'm paying. You can't, no, I'm doing this. No, no, you go sit down. If you're always doing that, there's something wrong with that. It's not real humility. Real humility is able to receive the gift of service from others as well as to give that gift away to others. And so it's just a, such a crucial thing that we learn that and, and we walk in that. And so in typical Peter fashion, when he hears this statement by Jesus that if, if I don't wash your feet, I have nothing to do with you, Peter then goes to the opposite extreme and then he says, okay then, wash me, do, do, do a thorough job, wash my head and, my, and everything, my hands and everything too. And then, uh, you know, what I see in that is that Pride, this is another thing to throw up on the screen. Pride in comparison clouds spiritual perception. Okay, when we engage in pride in comparison, and he was comparing himself to the others with a cynical attitude, that, that really clouds spiritual perception so that we, we don't see things clearly. But, um, you know, Steve Backlund who's gonna be at our uh, Kingdom Pursuit Conference. Wasn't that a great video earlier? I love that. Uh, Steve is going to, uh, no, he's gonna be here, but he said this. He said, pride isn't saying I'm the very best. It's just saying I'm better than that guy. Or I'm greater than this person, or I'm greater than those ones. And so we need to check our hearts and, um, and not, not give in to the tendency and the desire to judge others. So then Jesus goes on in the rest of the passage to explain that he's the master, he's the Lord, they all recognize that. If I did this to you, then you ought to do it to others. And he says, I gave, this is come up on the screen, I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Now, I don't believe he's giving us a third ordinance, communion, baptism, and foot washing. Some churches believe that and practice that, and, and God bless them, that's fine if they do. But I don't think that's what he's saying. And I don't think he's saying that it always is gonna issue forth in the action of, of some action that is the equivalent of this. But I think what he's saying is that if I have the same heart as Jesus, a heart of compassion for others, where I'm not judging others, I'm not trying to evaluate where I am in relationship to them on some scale, but I just have compassion for others, then there are gonna be opportunities to serve others that are gonna come up. Some of them are gonna be inconvenient. Some of them are gonna be very uncomfortable. Some of them are gonna be just downright unpleasant. But if I have a heart of compassion, then I'm gonna have clear thinking to know when is it time for me to step in and serve? Because you, you can't, like Jesus didn't allow other people to run his life. It wasn't like he was just there, okay, who needs anything? Anybody need a cup of coffee? Anybody need this, that? You know, I'll run and get it. No, not, not at all but we're all gonna be presented with opportunities to serve. And if I have that heart of compassion that Jesus had, then I can live like he lived. And, and I can take the opportunities that he presents that are the right ones and, and engage. And, and really truthfully, if an opportunity comes along to serve and you think you're above that, you probably ought to just do that one. 
Don't even pray about it. If you think, oh, I'm above that, just then you just think, uh-oh. Van said I should do it, so I'm gonna do it. <laughs> you get that, get what I'm saying. If I think, oh, this person doesn't deserve me serving them, then I should do it. And this is, this is the final thing I wanna talk about in this passage. And that is that Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas was there for this. You know that when you compare the gospels and the events, when Judas actually left was after this. Was that like Jesus saying, well, I don't wanna let on that he's the one that's gonna betray me, so I better wash his feet too. Or was it genuine compassion on Jesus' part you know, I don't think Jesus ever did anything for show. I don't think he ever did anything just to, you know, just, just to do it because I think he had a heart of compassion for Judas. Later in the garden when Judas brings the soldiers, Jesus looks at him and says, he kisses Jesus and Jesus says, do you betray the son of man with a kiss, friend? Called friend. It's one thing to serve people you love. Another thing to serve people that, you know, they're your acquaintances and, and, and maybe you don't know them that well. It's another stretch to serve somebody that you just really don't get along with. But then how about someone who betrays you? Someone who betrays you. Someone who's, who you gave them your trust. You gave them your friendship, your love. You opened your heart up to them and they betrayed you. And this passage is saying, you serve them just like anybody else. And real compassion is gonna have compassion for that person as well as for the others that uh, you already think are pretty good people you really care about. So would you stand with me? These blessings, if you want to read about blessing, just uh, look up Leviticus 26 or Deuteronomy 28, because when he says you'll be blessed, they would have been thinking of the Old Testament blessing passages, okay? Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. Father, we just open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. Make adjustments in our hearts. Show each one of us how to take a big step ahead in compassion. Fill us, fill us with the compassion of Jesus, Holy Spirit. Fill us with his love and his compassion. Let us walk in that. Let us not, not drift from it or deviate from it. And when we do, Give us grace just to enter right back into it, knowing that we're already forgiven for that, that, that wondering moment. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I, I, just, I pray a release of compassion and humility that's going to enable us to carry the authority of the kingdom the way Jesus did, so that we will see people, cancer healed, We've already seen it, Father, thank you. That we'll see blind eyes open, which we've seen as well. Thank you, more. We wanna see more cancer healed, more blindness healed.
We want to see, we've seen addicts freed. Thank you, Father. We want to see more. We've seen marriages saved, and Father, we want to see more. Just give us love and humility and compassion so we can carry your authority in a way that advances your kingdom and honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer teams, um, would you make your way down? I should have asked that a moment ago. And if you need prayer for anything, if the message strikes something in your heart, if you have someone you need to forgive, I think this, this whole idea of uh, compassion towards others and, and the way Jesus related to Judas speaks to the issue of forgiveness. So come down and get prayer for that. Otherwise, uh, hey, blessings on you. It's great to see you. Oh, wait a second. Will. You got it. You know. That's your job. Yep, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>